Okay, so yeah, Matthew chapter 20, parables of the kingdom, how Jesus shatters our long-held Christian ideas. That's kind of the tagline for this, for this series. Um, this is a series about how Jesus told stories, told parables, told illustrations to um, teach us about how his kingdom actually works. And they, those stories challenged his uh, listeners, his original audience's idea of how the kingdom works. And it often challenges our own ideas, our own expectations of how God's kingdom operates. And we've said that the kingdom of God refers to God's rule and God's reign. So when Jesus told a parable and said, the kingdom of God is like this, he was saying the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God is like this. This is how God rules and God reigns. This is how God brings in his rule and his reign. Make sense? Today, the title is, The Grace We Think We Deserve. The grace we think we deserve. C.S. Lewis once told this parable. No, not told the parable. C.S. Lewis was once asked in a group of scholars. He was with other religious leaders. He was asked, what's the difference between Christianity and other world religions? What sets Christianity apart? What makes Christianity unique? And his response was simple. He said, that's easy. Grace. Grace is what sets Christianity apart from all other world religions. Now, if you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus, if you profess to be a Christian, then, then you should know that that is the fundamental aspect of Christianity. You don't become a Christian without grace, without recognizing, trusting in, and embracing the grace of God revealed through Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. He died for us. He offers us Forgiveness of sins, salvation, wholeness, his kingdom, all out of grace. We didn't deserve it. You know that if you're a Christian, you profess that. However, most of us only grasp his grace a teeny, teeny bit. And the test or the revealer of how deeply we truly understand his grace and truly trust in his grace is how God treats other people. How God treats other human beings, our co-workers, our neighbors, our family members, our in-laws, our sisters, our brothers, our enemies, in comparison to how he treats us. That's the test of whether or not we truly understand and truly trust in his grace. Like jealousy. You ever get jealous of somebody else? Y'all can talk if you're in the other room. Yeah. Yes. That'll help. You don't have to pretend like you're back online if you're not. Um, jealousy is not just a potential threat to my horizontal relationship. It is a symptom of a lack of trust in God's grace, my vertical relationship with God. It's a lack of understanding of His grace, which leads to jealousy between me and other people. Because I think that God should be treating me differently in comparison to them. A couple of silly examples. Here's one silly example from my own life. My wife is a really good sleeper. Okay? She can go to sleep, like go to bed and actually fall asleep. 
and sleep through the night and sleep eight, nine, ten hours if she wanted to, if she had the time to. She can take a nap and conk out for an hour, two hours. Anybody else here a good sleeper? Facebook friends, you good sleeper? I'm not. Never have been. And this season of my life is probably the worst I've ever been at sleeping. So we can go to bed at the same time. It takes me a while to fall asleep. I'm up an hour before her, and usually in the middle of the night, I'm up for two to three hours in between. So there's moments, for the most part, I can be happy for her. And it's like, good job. Good for you. But there are times when I actually feel jealous. And I actually find myself going, what the heck, God? That's not fair. That's not fair. It's not fair. I put in as much time as she just did trying to sleep. And she did like double. I literally can get double the sleep that I get and, and, and every couple days. And I'm like, it's not fair. It's not fair. Here's another example. This one I'm taking from R.C. Sproul. Imagine 10 students are taking a test. Okay? Five of them study really hard. They prepare. They're up all night. They're cramming. The other five go out and party. They don't study. They don't prepare. They all take the test. The five who studied and prepared get A scores. The ones who didn't, who partied all night, get F scores. But the teacher, in an effort to be equal and, and, and provide equality, right? The teacher was big on equality, gives them all C's. He takes basically from the A's and gives to the F's. So everybody gets a C. Is that fair? No, negative. That's not fair. It's, it's equal, <laughs> equal outcome, but it's not fair. It's not, it's not just, right? In other words, you can have equality and not have justice. In my example with the sleep, we did not have equality of sleep. But was God treating me unjust? No, he wasn't being unjust to me. He wasn't being unjust to me just because things were not equal between me and my wife's sleep. So there's a difference between equality and fairness and justice, right? Well, this parable in Matthew 20, Jesus is telling this parable about an owner of a vineyard who treats his workers differently. In, in, in some respects, he gives them an equal outcome, as we'll see. But, but, but by doing so, he's actually not treating them fairly, some of them feel. And Jesus is teaching us something about our understanding of justice and our understanding of grace. And it challenges our religious, uh, work hard, earn God's favor... Work the formula and then we can put God in our debt. Work the formula and then we can get God to just turn out the outcome that we expect him to turn out. Because, hey God, I just did X, Y, and Z for you. That make sense? Yeah. Okay, so let's get into it. Let's get into it. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Let's, uh, Scott prayed, let's believe God's going to speak to us. For the kingdom of heaven is like, okay, Jesus starts there, the kingdom of heaven, the way God's reign and rule operates is like this story. What's the story? A landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius 
for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Okay? So the owner owns a vineyard, a grape vineyard. A grape vineyard was pretty risky business at that time. You had to pick the grapes at exactly the right moment. If you left them out in the sun just a day longer than, uh, they, than, you, than you should have, then they could all go bad and you lose business. So he, he needed workers. When the grapes were ready to be picked, he needed the workers. So the, the owner goes out, he gets a group of people, and he's like, hey, I got a job for you. You want it? They're like, yes. He's like, I'll pay you a denarius. They're like, good deal. And they go and start working. Now, an average work labor day was basically a 12-hour day, sunup to sundown. Think 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., okay? So these guys agreed to work for about 12 hours for a denarius. A denarius was actually a very generous day's wage. It was the pay of a Roman soldier. It was, it was more than a day laborer would normally get. Think like going to the Home Depot and somebody's willing to work for a, you know, a day's labor and you pay them 500 bucks. Now some of you guys might make 500 bucks in a day, but an average day laborer that you might get from Home Depot that's pretty generous for them, okay? Right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what these guys were getting. It was a generous pay for a 12-hour day. Let's keep going. Verse 3. About 9 in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So he, three hours later, he finds more workers. He doesn't specify an amount. He just says, hey, do you want work? They're like, yes. He says, okay, get the work. Let's keep going. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. So he keeps going out and gets more workers. Verse 6. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. So... He keeps going out, and at about 5 in the afternoon, so that's about an hour before quitting time, he gets one more group of workers. And he's like, guys, do you want work? Yeah, we want work. Go work in my vineyard for the last hour. Now, he doesn't say how much he's going to pay them. They just trust that it's going to be what? Fair? Just? Verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Okay, now here's where the story takes a turn. And the listeners in Jesus' audience would be like, wait a second, what's going on here? Because ordinarily, if you came at 6 a.m. and another group came at 5 p.m., the 6 a.m. group is going to get paid first and released first. They're not going to have to wait while the foreman pays the 5 p.m. workers, then the 3 p.m. workers, then the 12 p.m., then the 9 a.m., and work their way back to the 6 a.m., that's backwards. So already Jesus' listeners would be like, wait a second, why are they making them wait? Why, why are the ones who showed up first have to wait to be paid and released for the day? They were the ones in the hot sun. They want to get back to their families. They're thirsty. They're hungry. Verse 9. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So the ones who only worked an hour got a denarius, a full day's wage, and a generous full day's wage, right? 
Yes. Jesus' listeners were like, wow, that's, that's crazy. Verse 10. So when those who came, uh, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. So that the foreman is working his way back, he pays the 5 p.m. workers, denarius, they go. 3 p.m. workers, denarius, they go. 12 p.m., 9 a.m., and finally the 6 a.m. workers, who are there 12 hours, they're like, oh, snap, we're going to get more than a denarius. We're going to get maybe two denariuses, three denariuses, and they only get a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. So they get what was promised them, but what do they do? They start grumbling. It's not fair. It's not just. What the heck? The fact that you're giving them equal pay actually means that we're not being treated equally. Our work is not being treated equally because we've been out here 12 hours and they're only out here an hour. That's not fair. What the heck, bro? We worked 11 more hours than they did and we got paid the same amount. So let me stop here. Do you guys, whether you're watching online, Facebook, you guys sitting here, do you ever feel like that with God? Like, what the heck, God? I've been praying for this for so long and it hasn't been answered. And that person just you got blessed in the way that I've been wanting to be blessed. All my friends are getting married. I've been praying for a spouse. I'm still single. You ever feel like that? Yep. I, I, I've been at this job longer and he got the promotion in front of me. Maybe it's really serious stuff. They're blessed with their fifth child, and we don't even have any. We can't get pregnant. Or worse, we've had multiple miscarriages. What the heck, God? Why are you distributing blessings out so differently? In the parable of the landowner, he, he makes the 6 a.m. workers wait while the others get paid if he didn't make them wait you know what would have happened they wouldn't have known if he paid the 6 a.m. workers first and said alright good day to you and then paid the rest they wouldn't have known that the other ones got paid the same amount they wouldn't have been grumbling he made them wait as if he wanted them to have to battle with their jealousy to have to battle with their sense of entitlement, to have to battle with that sense of, this isn't fair. And it seems like Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is like that. That's, that's what God does. He sometimes wants to expose our sense of entitlement. He wants us to um, see in ourselves our own lack of gratefulness towards Him for our blessings. And He exposes it by putting other people's blessings right in our faces. We're waiting on our blessings. You know, it's, it's not just our Facebook friends who, who we see have blessings that we don't. Like their, their kids are, you know, graduating from Ivy League schools while our kids are getting arrested. It's not just, the, it could be our sister or somebody super close to us. And we're like, I gotta deal with this. 
I gotta go to his graduation party while my kid's in jail? Like that's the kind of stuff that it seems like God, Jesus is saying that's how God, that God's kingdom works sometimes. He doesn't protect us from being jealous, angry, whiny, petty people. He exposes it. He brings it out of us. Why does he bring it out of us? Let's get back to his parable and see how the landowner responds to those who are grumbling. So verse 13, if you're following along, he answered one of them. This is important. Verse 13. This is important. Am I being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Now they did, right? They, they agreed to work for denarius. So verse 14, take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you know what, guys? Gosh, you're right. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry you don't feel appreciated around here. You do deserve more than they got. Let me give you another denarius. Let me give you a little bit more. He doesn't do that. He says, you agree to a denarius at the beginning of the day, and that felt just. That felt right. And now all of a sudden, it seems unfair. Now all of a sudden you're grumbling. Are you angry because I'm generous to others? This is my money, little man, he's saying. It's my stuff. It's my vineyard. I get to do what I want. You do realize that I'm the owner here, don't you? You do realize it's my money, don't you? So, is, it, is he treating people's work equally? No. But is it still just? Yep. Yeah. Did the workers get what they were promised? Yes. Yeah. Was the owner faithful to fulfill his promise to them? Yes. Yeah. But was he extra generous, extra merciful, extra kind to the group who came later? Yeah. But did that take away from his justice? Nope. No. Another important thing to notice is that the landowner didn't explain why he was doing this. He simply said, take your pay and go. Go home. Stop crying. Get out of here. Another symptom of our lack of understanding of God's grace is our sense of needing God to explain to us why things are being distributed differently. Like, let's face it, some of us, you know, it, it, subconsciously even, we're like, okay, I can be okay with this, but you just find out what the meaning is. What's the purpose? What's the reason? God, why are you allowing this? Why is this happening differently than it's happening to them? If you just explain it to me, give me the meaning of it, and if I agree with that meaning, it has to be good, but if I agree with it, then we can move on. And God doesn't always do that. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. The landowner doesn't explain why he's being extra generous to the latecomers. And God doesn't always explain to us why he's distributing blessings differently between us. But the landowner is still being just. I am in charge. I get to do what I want with my money. I give out justice to everybody. 
but perhaps I'm giving out a little extra grace and mercy to this group. Don't I have the right to do that? And now the parable's over. But Jesus does something at the end of this parable that he doesn't always do at the end of parables. He gives the main point to his listeners, who in this case was just his 12 disciples. It was a small group. So he gives them the point. And you see it there at the end. It says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, if you read Matthew 19 prior to this, this parable was in response to Peter saying, hey, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. And Jesus saying, yes, and you're going to be rewarded greatly for it. But he says, others are going to be rewarded for following me as well. And it's not going to exactly be according to a certain human formula. Your rewards are not going to compute in your head. It's not like X, I do X, Y, and Z, and therefore God owes me ABC. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. He ends chapter 19 with that, launches into this parable in chapter 20, and then says the main point one more time. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. That's the point of the parable in a world that you and I live in where we think I can work the system, I can work the formula, I can do the religious deeds, I can do the good deeds, I can give X amount of money away, I can tithe my 10%, I can go to church, I can volunteer, and then God owes me, then God will answer my prayers. Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom of God doesn't work like that. Things are not always going to feel equal. They're not always going to make sense. The work in the vineyard represents us serving God's kingdom, being called into his service. God is the owner. Jesus is the foreman, handing out the rewards and the blessings and the salvation. And evening time is when eternity comes. And, and, and we all receive the salvation that Jesus purchased for us. But we all are called into his service differently. Some later in life, some are going to suffer in ways. I mean, think of what's going on around the world. There are Christians suffering in places where, in comparison, we got it easy here. We don't have the same kind of persecution. And then you look across the street and you see that that family's struggling in a way that I'm not, but I'm struggling in a way that he's not. We're all called to make different sacrifices for God's kingdom. And it may not seem fair, and in the end, we all get the same salvation. We all get to be part of his kingdom. We all get forgiveness. We all get to be uh, co-heirs with Christ. But he transforms us differently. He uses difficulties differently in our life. Some of us become Christians as little kids. We serve him the rest of all our lives and others moments before we die. Some of us have temptations that we have to deal with every day, battling addictions, battling uh, certain proclivities towards things, and we have to say no to them on a daily basis. Others of us have those addictions, those temptations lifted miraculously, and we never struggle with them ever again. And it might not seem fair, but the kingdom of God is like that. And will that cause us to stop trusting in and rejoicing in His grace? Or will we 
say, oh, it's not fair. Will we pull the whole, you know, yeah, yeah, Jesus died for my sins. I get that I'm forgiven, but I deserve an easier life. But I deserve what he has. But I deserve what she has. This parable is a perfect picture of how ridiculous grace feels to our system of work hard, work the system, X, Y, Z, and then God owes me A, B, C. But because of Jesus dying and rising again for us, living the life we couldn't live, saying it's finished, it's paid in full, we get all that Jesus deserves and we didn't chip in at all. Right? Sometimes we act like we did. Sometimes we act like Jesus did 90%, but I did my 10%. And I did my 10% really good, so God owes me. Yeah, I know Jesus did most of it, but I did my 10%. And I did my 10% better than he did, so why is he being treated that way by God and I'm being treated this way? But the gospel is Jesus did it all. He did it all. We didn't chip in until he owes us nothing. Every breath we're taking, he does owe us. It's a gift to be grateful for, and it would be easy to be grateful for that, to worship him all the time, if it wasn't for those other stinking human beings in our lives who are treated differently. Those other workers in the vineyard. Am I right? Those other stinking human beings, sometimes some of the ones we, we work with, some of the ones we live with, expose our sense of, I deserve this grace. The 6 a.m. workers were grateful for the deal they got until they took their eyes off the landowner and put their eyes on the other workers, right? Then they started to grumble. So, I'm going to end, I'm going to close with a few implications, just three. Three implications. If we understand grace, then, one, two, three, take notes, put them, take some, put them down on a notebook or something. Chances are, we have to repent, because we're going to realize, wow, I may not fully embrace grace right now. And we have to repent. Repent means to turn. Let's do a 180. Change your mind about something. Change your mind about how God's kingdom works. Change your mind about how uh, grace really works. Turn back to fully embracing that Jesus paid it all. He owes us nothing. Number one, if we understand grace, we will rejoice when evil people trust in Jesus and are saved. That's number one. People who come to the vineyard later, after they've done horrible things in life, and they get the same denarius as we get. Can we rejoice in that? I'm reading a book called Tortured for Christ right now. It's about Richard Wormbrandt, who was... In the, in the, during World War II, he was an atheist Jew. Then he became a Christian. Then he became a pastor. And after World War II, Soviets took over. He was in Romania. Uh, communism took over. People were being arrested. He got arrested. Anybody ever read that book? Tortured for Christ? Good book. Uh, very, very uh, powerful, sobering book. But he just literally got tortured. All these Christians were put in prison. Um, anybody who was deemed an enemy of the state or put in prison, and they were tortured. This guy was tortured every day, beaten, burned, forced to eat garbage, forced to eat human excrement in order to recant his faith 
and give the names of family and friends who were also Christians. And he didn't do it. He never gave in. Years, every day. What he did do, however, was share the gospel, share about Jesus to other prisoners, also to guards. There's one story in particular that really gets me. Um, a, a, a prisoner who was, I believe, a former Nazi, right? So Soviets take over. He was a former Nazi. He's thrown in prison too. Sergeant Major Bukhar was his name. And he was dying. And he felt the need to confess to his other prisoners around him, some of them who were Jewish, what he had done. He had slaughtered many Jews, including children. And he felt the need to confess that before he died. So he confessed it. And then the next day, he felt like he needed to get more off his chest. And he said to them, yesterday, I did not tell you everything. I must confess. And he went on to say that he actually killed babies while they were in the arms of their mothers. Shot them. And when his gun ran out of bullets, he clubbed them to death. That's a monster, right? That's the kind of person that you and I would say does not deserve to be in God's kingdom, does not deserve to be at the banquet feast with us, does not deserve to be in the vineyard with us. But after he confessed that, Richard Wormbrand, Pastor Richard Wormbrand, preached to him and said, you can be born again. You can receive forgiveness of your sins. And he was. He confessed and he trusted in Jesus before he died and he died in peace. And some of the other prisoners around him and maybe your response is, no way. He can't, doesn't get to do that. How can he get to do that? He can't live his whole life as a monster, do whatever he wanted to do. Such horrific acts. Get forgiven? Get put in God's kingdom? That's crazy. It's not fair. What did he do for Jesus? He didn't do anything. He said, just die. That's it. Another story in Luke chapter 23 tells something similar. A criminal on the cross next to Jesus. He's got the same deal. We call him the thief on the cross. He was more than a petty thief. He did some pretty horrible things to have been crucified. Probably a pretty despicable guy. And he says to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' response, if you read Luke 23, his response wasn't, Sorry, pal, a little too little, too late. His response was, Today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. So apparently God's kingdom works like that. Apparently people like Sergeant Major Bukhar and this criminal on the cross can be in the kingdom with you and I. Those of you who are singing up here, nice and sweet worship leader people, are going to be in the same kingdom as Sergeant Major Bukhar. That's crazy. But apparently the kingdom of God works like that. Now I'm not saying that every deathbed confession is a you know, genuine conversion. I'm not saying that. But apparently some of them are. And they're going to be in the kingdom with us. And it might not seem fair to us, but yeah, God gives out a denarius to even those who come late to the vineyard. Even an hour before quitting time, he gives out a denarius. Now perhaps those examples are too far removed from us and, and doesn't, it doesn't confront us enough. 
So think about some pretty despicable people in our world today. Maybe it's you know leaders of other nations. Maybe it's even these two presidential nominees. Right? Maybe maybe for some of you guys who are Republicans in here, if if you found out tomorrow that Joe Biden came out and said I'm a like I'm a fornicating Christian and I just repented of my sins, you might have trouble believing that. You might you might you might put on your your cynical you know I don't believe it. He's just pulling a political stunt. And you'll be unable to rejoice. And others of you Democrats, you might have, have the same trouble if Trump did the same thing tomorrow. I repented of my sin. I'm a bit who I've been. I'm no longer Jesus. has made me a new, new creation. You might have trouble rejoicing in that. But if we truly understand grace, we can rejoice when even those who we perceive to be despicable people trust in Jesus. That's number one. Number two. If we truly understand grace, if we truly understand grace, we will not be jealous of the blessings of others. Can you identify right now where your jealousy and your envy gets riled up? Friends, family members, somebody else's marriage, somebody else's singleness maybe, right? Because you are married and want their singleness. Somebody else's kids who are so well behaved, somebody else's job, their wealth, their property, their talents, their ministry, their personality, maybe. I wish I was more extroverted like so-and-so. I wish I was as smart as so-and-so. Do you find yourself unable to celebrate when something good happens to them? Or do you kind of, you know, between your teeth, you know, you're saying, oh, that's wonderful, and between your teeth, you're saying, what the hurt? It's not fair. Why, God? Are you always telling your friends about the latest thing that has gone awry in your life? Are you too preoccupied by the difficulties in your life? I would argue if that's the case that perhaps you need to repent. Turn back to a deeper understanding of grace where everything is out of his grace. You deserve nothing. Take your eyes off of what other people are getting and fix them back on the landowner who is being super generous with you. And then finally, if we understand grace, we will serve God however and whenever he wants to use us. We won't look at how he's using other people. We won't compare ourselves. We'll understand that serving God is a gift in itself. It's not something we do to earn more blessings from him. It is a blessing. To be hired in the vineyard was a blessing, was generous. The landowner didn't have to hire that first crew, and he certainly didn't have to give them a whole denarius for that day. So to be called into his service, whatever that looks like, whatever gifts and talents and resources we have, and he calls us in, that's, we, don't, we don't use that stuff to put God in our debt. No, that's a gift of grace in itself where we get to serve Him. Trusting that serving Him leads us into deeper and deeper joy. So as I close, I just want to ask, out of those three things, maybe they uh, revealed something in you, a way that you need to repent, turn back to. Say, God, I need a deeper understanding of Your grace. I need a reminder of how good You are. That's the song we're going to sing as we kind of close. God, You're so good. You really are so good doesn't matter what I'm dealing with right now. You really are so good. 
Help me not to be jealous of so-and-so. Help me to rejoice in their blessing, in his salvation. Help me to be a grateful worker in your vineyard. And I would be remiss if I didn't say to anybody who's watching here, maybe you've never trusted in Jesus. Maybe you've never come to the vineyard. You've never accepted his invitation to come to the vineyard and be part of his kingdom and serve him. And if that's the case, I would encourage you to do that. I'm going to just close in prayer right now. And I would encourage you just to pray along with me. Just asking Jesus, hey, I want to trust in your sacrifice. Trust in your grace for the first time. I'm not going to play this religious, I get to earn your favor game anymore. I want to trust in your grace. So let's close. And, and then the band will just leave us in the closing song. Jesus, I thank you that you paid it all. What a wonderful gift. You came, you died, you rose again. You conquered sin and you conquered death on our behalf. That's something we couldn't do. We cannot conquer death and we certainly cannot conquer our own sin, but you did it for us. But while that is a gift, it is also a challenge to our pride, our ego, because it means we can't, we can't say we deserve anything. It means we can't say that you owe us anything. And it means we can't legitimately be jealous of anybody. Help us to be grateful for that. Help us to be worshipful all the time. Help us to keep our eyes on your generous gift and not look at the other workers in the vineyard and what they're getting paid. In your name. Amen. All right, y'all, why don't we just stand? Close to worship together. But God, speak to us. The Holy Spirit, submit.